The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time for your best legal defense with your host, Lonnie McDowell. This could be the most important hour of your entire week. Our program discusses the criminal defense and legal system and what it can mean to you. Lonnie and his guest experts will discuss cases that are groundbreaking and important to today's law and court system, from arrest to bail. We know you have questions about the law, and we're here to answer those too. Now, here's trial attorney and host, Lonnie McDowell. Good morning, and welcome to your best legal defense. I'm Lonnie McDowell. Uh, this week, we're going to be uh, talking uh, more on our series of forensic um, investigations. And uh, this week, we're going to be speaking with uh, noted PI James Allard regarding crime scene investigations. You know, due to the popularity of uh, the CSI TV dramas, there's a lot of misconceptions that abound regarding uh, this particular area of forensic science, um, you know, investigation. Uh, examples are, you know, on TV. Um, the person collecting the evidence runs it back to the lab and processes that. Um, not exactly what happens in real life. So, as I said, I'm here with uh, James Allard. Uh, he's uh, been a law enforcement uh, professional for the last 32 years. Uh, he's been with the Orange County Sheriff's Department and with the Huntington Beach Police Department. Uh, he started his own private investigation firm in 1998. Um, Full disclosure here, uh, James is my general first call when I need a private investigator on uh, any one of my criminal cases. So good morning, James. How are you doing? Well, good morning. Thank you for having me today. Uh, great. I'm glad you could do the show. So as I was saying, we're going to talk about uh, some of the myths and realities and, and what uh, should really be done uh, when there is a crime scene that needs to be investigated. And, and you've done hundreds, if not thousands of those, correct? Oh, that's absolutely right. Yeah, I've been... I, as a police officer, I responded to crime scenes, set up all the different things. As a detective, same thing. I respond out to crime scenes and we can go with it. But really quick, a definition of what a crime scene may be, it doesn't have to be like a homicide. Crime scene is, is basically any place where an offense or a crime has occurred. So that's you know one of the things you need to know. It could be in a grocery store. It could be in your house, in your car. Right. And the majority of the time you're actually collecting evidence of burglaries, robberies, and lesser crimes uh, than you are for like homicide or attempted homicide cases, correct? The, the normal police officer responding to calls, yes, that's what they do. Now, as a detective, then you'll go out, you'll have the major crimes. Again, robberies, depending if it's a bank robbery, if it's a, it's a and a lot of people get confused on robbery, I'll just tell you real quick, is that when somebody has their house broken into, they think they've been robbed. Actually, they were burglarized. It's, it's, it's radically different. A robbery is something where there's force or fear that was used. So if I tell you I'm going to kill you, if I point a gun at you or use some sort of weapon, then that changes it to a robbery. Right. Uh, and it's of a person, uh, the robbery, more so a burglary is of a 
place. Correct. Right. Okay, so crime happens. Uh, someone calls 911 or you know, someone runs to the police station. However, the police are alerted. How do, how do you approach the crime scene? What is, what is the proper method of, of that approach? Well, again, you're going to, however the call comes out, uh, it could be a police officer passing the scene and then he, he or she observes a crime, a, a body, some property out, whatever. That's one way. Another way is when somebody actually calls in and they say, hey, uh, they'll call 911. They'll say, hey, I see a person laying down or somebody broke into my home. So you'll have a couple different ways that the police are alerted to that. So, but when the dispatcher gets the call, this is normally via 911, which is a, a good thing because it captures phone numbers. The dispatcher is going to ask certain questions. And the reason why they ask questions is one, they're sending out officers out there. And guess what's going to happen? The very first thing the officer is going to do is ask that dispatcher all kinds of questions about where they're <laughs> going to. So there, that's why when people, if you've had the experience calling, you're wondering why these people cut you off and they ask you all these questions is because they need to know certain things before they send an officer out. Right. And part of that is, is one, just to find out what, you know, what is happening uh, and where and when, but it's also uh, for officer safety and also for the person's safety so that the officer knows what they're dealing with when they first get there and who might be involved and who might not. Exactly. So you don't know if the person who's committing a crime is currently fleeing? If so, if, are they on foot? Are they driving a car? If so, if it's a car, what kind of car? Which direction? What speed? How many people with them? What do they look like? You know, what are they wearing? So that they can use the appropriate resources. If they happen to have a helicopter in their, in their police department, they can send that out there. Or the police agent, the police officers that are responding will put out their location and how they're going to basically set up a, a, a scene. Okay. Um, now you get to the crime scene. Um, what is the proper procedure for starting to work that scene? Well, again, it all depends on what type. Let's just go with, um, we'll talk about there's a body someplace. Okay, it's a little easier because what happens is if it's just a regular residential burglary, it's going to be handled differently. Um, the officer, for instance, I don't know, I'll start with a residential burglary, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> the officer gets there, they're going to have the person, they're going to either go up there or when the police officer pulls up, the people will come out. That's different than if there is a homicide or some other thing where once the officer gets there, the very first thing that person is responsible for is, is, is that person still alive? Right. Then they're going to see if they need resources such as the paramedics. Are they going to bring in uh, additional units? They're going to start uh, cordoning off the area there. And you're going to have Usually what you, on a homicide, you'll have an inner crime scene and an outer crime scene. There's usually two. Okay. And what, what's, the, what's the difference there? Well, the inner crime scene is nobody should be going in there at all except for the detectives being there and um, CSI personnel. What happens a lot of times, and it's, it's, I don't know, they even teach you this in the academy, but I don't know why it still goes on. Um, you'll get a lot of looky-loos. Okay, well, I'm the chief, I'm the captain, I'm the lieutenant, and they'll try and go right into your homicide scene. You're like, really? What are you doing going into this scene here? <laughs> okay, that's so, and also the outer crime scene is because people, when you put up tape, they're right up to the tape. So you want to get that extended out there. It also keeps the media outside. So that's why you have an inner and outer. 
Right. And media can be a, a big problem because they, they monitor the radios, uh, they monitor dispatch. So sometimes uh, there's, I know I've cases that I've had, is the media has been the first on scene. Yes, they can <laughs> be. And, and that's part of the, 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 you could tell a good agency, a, a good police department, good officers, when they get there, say it's at a home. What these officers will do is they'll mask the license plate of the vehicles inside uh, the crime scene or right in front of the residence there. And the reason why they're doing this is because however the media gets this information, they'll be able to run those plates. And what they'll do is they'll uh, know who lives there. They'll know a lot more before the detectives even get there Okay, <laughs> sometimes. So that's why you do that. And plus, that's one of the other things that that the officers should be doing is one of the many things they're doing. Again, you're, you're checking on life. If, the li if that person is deceased and that officer feels comfortable, because a police officer can pronounce somebody dead, but if they don't feel comfortable doing that, they haven't had the experience or it's somebody who's just freshly been uh, murdered, then you'll bring in a, a paramedic. I mean, you can see when somebody's been dead for a long period of time and, and there's mm. different... Yeah, there's lividity and all this other things that are going on there, and it's obvious to you. Anybody can tell that that's a dead body. Then it's unnecessary. But if this person has just recently been killed, then what you can do is, and that's what the police officer's job is, is to control that crime scene. So they can bring in the paramedic. One, that officer will lead him through a track where, where he wants he or she wants him to walk. And then they can put on that strip to see if that person's alive. And then they carry them back out so you're not damaging the crime scene. So I think probably the, the number one first thing that, that, needs, uh, that officers do is protect the crime scene. To protect as much of the evidence as possible. Right. Again, their job is once they get there, it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff. That, there's a lot of pieces that are going on. Again, they have to check who's there. Is there a suspect? There's going to be people trying to talk to you. So you got to find out, okay, hey, I need you to stand over here. You want to kind of keep people separated so that they're not discussing what they saw and then what somebody else saw because now it's going to taint and change their story. So there's a lot of things that they do. So once that officer gets there, he or she is going to start saying, okay, I need additional resources. Okay, I need a unit here. I need this cordon off. And then they start setting up the tape. Okay, and, and you said there's there's an inner crime scene, an outer crime scene, and, but in some cases that I've had, we've had multiple crime scenes. Oh, absolutely. Points, and each one of them has to be protected and kept separate so that the evidence isn't tainted. Right. If you have a suspect that's fleeing someplace and that person is changing, taking off his clothing because he hears somebody, oh, he's wearing a blue shirt. And, and they take off their shirt, well, guess what? That's another crime scene, okay? We need right. to collect that so that area is going to be cordoned off so nobody touches it so that they can collect it for DNA and, and other other things. Right. And and that's one thing that, you know, when I've had juries and things is, you know, officers will talk about the various crime scenes as to the shirt was taken off and just left here. That becomes a crime scene. And sometimes juries don't understand that a crime doesn't actually happen there it's just a piece of evidence from the crime is at that location right but we call it a crime scene it, yeah. it's a crime scene because they're collecting that inform that 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 item it could be a gun it could be anything that that person may drop and it's amazing how many people actually drop their wallet they take their wallet on crimes <laughs> and they really drop their wallet <laughs> well i i can actually outdo that i i had a case 
about three years ago where it was an attempted uh, robbery and the person actually wrote the note, it was at a bank, uh, on his own deposit ticket. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes uh, I don't get the, the, the smartest ones. Uh, you know, basically, if, if you're going to do something, at least don't leave your own ID there. Uh, you don't have to make it that easy and actually that hard for me when, when I go about this. Well, especially, and yeah. I could give you one, too, working robberies, <laughs> is going back to that house where that person lives and you see all his practice notes. Okay? okay. They, they will write their practice notes, what they're going to write out on during when they're going to present that slip to the to the teller for the robbery right. they're writing it out okay uh give me all your money uh nobody <laughs> will get hurt whatever they'll they'll write that out for you and they'll actually like, practice this yeah, several times yeah they'll have it the little notes and they'll crumple up sometimes in the trash or it's actually just right on their notepad right there really okay yeah. that i haven't had uh before um but uh anyway uh, we're going to take a little break here, um, and when we come back, I want to get into a little bit more of uh, you know how how evidence is preserved and collected. Um, so when we uh, get back, we'll discuss that. All right, Jim, you bet. All right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell and Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit McDowellDefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or McDowellDefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. 
be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. I am here with my guest this week, uh, James Allard, a uh, private investigator. Uh, prior to the break, we were discussing uh, crime scenes and, uh, you know, securing and protecting the scene when, when they first arrive. Uh, besides securing and protecting the scene, officers are doing a lot of other things when they first arrive, like, such as collecting the actual evidence, correct? Well, the officers, it just depends on what type of um, police department they have. If it's a smaller one, yeah, the officers are doing most of the stuff, but if it's a, a little bit larger agency, they'll have their own CSI people come out and they'll, they'll take photographs, they'll put little markers out there, they'll write a report saying what those pieces of evidence are, they, uh, they, they'll collect that stuff for the officers, but none of that's going to happen if it's a, a big crime such as a homicide until the detectives respond because they want to see the whole scene before anything's collected. Right. And you said the, um, that if it's a small department, the officers themselves are doing a lot, a lot of this, like taking the photos and, and you know, putting little markers on and, and collecting evidence in a larger department, let's say LAPD, uh, they'll have their own kind of like on television CSI unit. Yes. Even even though they, they don't wear such nice clothes and, uh, you know. Well, <laughs> and, and again, you actually have it. It's in court where you'll have the CSI effect where people think that, okay, CSI responded. You know, they'll, they'll collect something. They'll, they'll, like you said, take it back to the station right away and start processing it. And they'll put it in a computer. And then all of a sudden, there's your suspect. There's, right. His face comes up, all these things. Like, I wish we were in that world, right. but none of that really happens. Right, exactly. I mean, that's one thing as, as a criminal defense attorney that I'm faced with a lot is the, what we call the CSI effect. It's everyone thinks that there's going to be forensic evidence at every crime scene, which is not necessarily the case. There's not necessarily always DNA left behind. Uh, there's not, you know, always someone's driver's license or fingerprints. I mean, I remember I, um, in law school, um, I did a couple of externships and things. And one of them, uh, we went along with the police department and they had a little training course in, in pulling fingerprints. And on television, it's like they touch a glass and up, oh, they got that perfect print. They put it in there. It's really hard on fingerprints. Fingerprints <laughs> and ratings are very, very hard. And then, then you have to, not only that, you have the the expert that comes in and then they they examine it first they okay you have the, the item that the fingerprints on then they have to collect it either they're going to use some powder they're going to take some tape however they get it and then they put it on a card and then the person has to come in and see examine that and see what part of the fingerprint they have and then they got to see if it's cal ideable which is a computer system that they can right. put it in and it just it just it's it's a lot of work right. okay and then they have to compare Right, and and I, you know I remember you know they had us you know do the 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 dust, um, and we were doing glasses, and it's you know the prints are, are smudged. They're not they're not perfect little prints because people just don't touch things and, and pull their finger away. Uh, you know if it's a, an item that is out in the open, there's probably ten people's fingerprints on it, not just one, and they're never in a per and it's not the only thing there, and they're not perfect. So it, it I was amazed at you know watching TV, how easy it is, and then really trying to do it in, in, in real life. You know, not to mention the cataloging. I mean, the old system where they had cards and, you know, you did the whirls and the loops, and I have no idea how they ever got 
any fingerprints before computers <laughs> to sort it out. It just was like, it was, it was amazing. But there's also bad crime scene um, handling. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, as I'm saying, uh, you know, they're, they're supposed to secure and protect. They want to protect the evidence. One, not only to find the person who did it, but to eliminate people who may be suspected but may not have been involved. Um, but there's a lot of bad crime scene investigation out there, or at least as a criminal defense attorney, that's what I call it. Um, and, you know, there's a case that uh, comes to mind. We worked together a couple of years ago, um, which was just a comedy of errors. Um, <laughs> and you know what case I'm talking about. Yes. I mean, it, it, it seemed to be the textbook uh, primer for what not to do at a crime scene. I would have to totally agree with that. I was, I was shocked and amazed at this, this in particular agency, who's a large agency, that did it. I mean, the officers respond to it. It was a shooting, uh, basically attempt murder. Somebody gets shot, and they respond to the location, and they take four photos of what they think may be blood. But when you're taking photos, here, here's part of the crime scene stuff, is you want to have some type of... of idea where where that's at. The photos were taken from a phone, which is really not something you want to do. And if there's any officers listening, they definitely don't want to do that. So And that's because I will subpoena the phone yes. and see all of their information. Every single photo they've ever <laughs> taken on their on their phone. Yes. Even if he tries to delete it, they should know that that, that forensically they can recover <laughs> that stuff. So they took the the photos of, of what these red marks, but you had no idea where it was. It could right. be who's ever listening to this right now. It could be out front of your house because there was no pictures of where this location was. They never tested the blood to find out if it was actually blood or paint. Right. Uh, that's just that. There was a household full of people, approximately 15 people, if I recall correctly. Right. And that part of what you do as a crime scene when the officers respond, the first responders, is they ultimately start canvassing and talking to people, see what they heard. Well, those 15 people per everybody that I spoke to, were taken out of the house, placed on the curb, talked to, but not one single name, phone number, <clears throat> or any information on these people, who they were. The, the suspect could have been in there. We don't know. Right. Right. And, and that was a big thing. I mean, uh, that case actually never went to trial. He was facing, uh, it was a third strike case, so it was 25 to life. Uh, after talking with the DA and pointing out all of the mistakes that I thought were made, uh, it ended up being a two-year sentence. Um, so uh, that was a pretty good uh, win for us. Um, client was very happy. But, you know, part of my, you know, because we were ready for trial, we were actually ready to pick a jury. We, we had a void a, a brought up um, to pick a jury. But part of it was, is no one knew where this, this was. It, you know, part of my thing was, was this a crime scene? Was this in front of the house? Was this in downtown Bangkok? It was, it was a photo of a couple of dots. And this is a shooting victim. There should have been a lot more blood, especially since one of the witnesses said they followed the trail of blood to find, to find the victim. I, I mean, these things, do, do that type of thing happen a lot in, in these type of investigations or was that just kind of an outlier in the, uh, the sloppiness effect? 
I, I'm hoping it's not something that's standard for somebody like that because you, th these are important things. If somebody's almost murdered or there was they were shot, it's it's a pretty pretty big case in the hierarchy of investigations as opposed to a petty theft, okay, or somebody uh, lost some property. Those are low priority. Somebody was shot, attempted murder. The guy survived, thank goodness, but we're pulling out the resources as an agency to, to do the appropriate thing. Again, talking to people, taking the crime scene photos, collecting evidence, so that once we do find somebody, that you can actually, you as the attorney, don't have a chance, okay? <laughs> because the officers did exactly what they're supposed to do. Uh, I, I always have a chance. Uh, <laughs> but we were talking about inside and outside crime scenes, and another part of, of, of that particular uh, incident was the fact that the officers drove over the crime scene. If you remember right. that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're driving into the crime scene. They weren't, they weren't thinking ahead. And, and, and again, when you get a call, you're, you're responding. You're, you, you get this call. You should be actually thinking in your mind as, when you're training people, this is what you're telling them. You're, you get this call. You're going to this call. What's going through your mind? These guys should be running a whole bunch of different scenarios through their head. Okay, if I get an update that the suspect's fleeing, do I go to the crime scene? Do I have another unit go there? Do I check what other resources, etc.? So all these scenarios. So and and also you want to make sure that you don't drive through or damage the crime scene because that doesn't look good for you. Because when you go on the stand there, so again, officer. You knew this was the location, and you drove right up to the front door. <laughs> okay, so that's not what you do. Right. So how should they have approached that scene? Uh, we'll get in a little bit uh, in, into this. And well, there should have been multiple units, and, and there were units there. But the thing is, is, is this house backed up to an alley? Okay, right. so you want to have officers covering the alley the north or south, the east or west part of the alley. You have the front of the house, and you also have the back of the house, which, again, backs up to the alleyway there. So they're going to cordon off. They're going to go down the street. They're going to know where this house is because they're going to get some addresses. It depends on, again, what agency. They may even have a map book that shows each house. just all depends on what agency you're at. So you can look at your little map book and say, okay, it's the third house from the, from the uh, south so then you, you pull up a couple houses away. You never pull up in front of the house because you don't know what's going on in there, especially if it's a shooting. Right. You don't want to be involved in a shooting yourself right off the bat. But this in particular agency, they had cameras in their cars. They don't have them on their bodies, at least not yet, and that's something that's happening for a lot of agencies, which is good in, in some respect. So you can they could have turned on their camera to kind of capture the crime scene. Crime scene. And, and if I remember, the cameras are an MVAR system. Um, if I remember correctly, they actually had them on on the drive there, but when they pulled up to the scene, turned them off. Correct, <laughs> yes. I mean, it was nice that we got to see them driving through traffic and, and all that stuff. Now I understand, they understand that they're doing that so if there's an accident, when they're responding, because they're responding what is called code three with their lights and siren, right. that they can show that the officer was doing what they were supposed to be doing. But hello, you have that same thing that's still working, so let's use it. Well, I think what, one of the things that, that uh, a lot of people 
wonder, and I always wonder, is why are those systems able to be turned off by the officer anyway? <laughs> well, I, again, I don't know the, the, the technology that each agency has, but uh, again, it's kind of a... It, all those things are kind of a nightmare for the detective. I know being the detective on the other side is you have to get this. Now you have to look at it and review it and do all kinds of different things with it. And we can talk more about that in a moment. Yeah. Let's take a short little break and uh, we'll get uh, into that. I wanted to talk about the cameras and, and the issues that they're going to uh, possibly uh, present when we come back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations, live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell and Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit McDowellDefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or McDowellDefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Oh, welcome back. I'm here with uh, noted PI James Allard. And before the break, we were talking about uh, some uh, crime scenes that uh, were not preserved correctly, shall we say, um, that we worked together. And one of the things we, we uh, ended with was uh, cameras in the cars. And I wanted to ask you, James, uh, the LAPD is now rolling out its body cameras. Um, how do you think that's going to hurt or help in investigations? 
Well, again, a camera and the camera angle is one thing. Now, I'm, I'm being kind of both police, pro police, and defense here. So just, <laughs> just so you know, I mean, I, I, I'm in the middle of the road here. So the issue is, is that anytime you have a camera, you're seeing stuff, but you're seeing it through the camera. The officer is thinking with their training and experience, they're doing something different than maybe they, they're assessing something different right. than what the camera is actually looking at. So that's, they need to understand that. Then, then we have this, so it looks bad in the beginning. Like I, I could tell you, there's one shooting where they had the cameras, two cars had this camera, and it looks like they just shot this person. Well, the third unit came at a different angle, and they could actually see the gun that person had. Right. So it was all justified. Right, and, and that's like back, going back way back uh, to the OJ um, Simpson matter, when they, the media was filming, and I don't know they used this in the trial, um, Dennis Fong, the, the noted uh, <laughs> crime scene investigator there, um, and it looked like, from the angle that he was like two feet away from something, uh, I forget exactly what what the what the issue was there, but it, it was some t piece of evidence, and, and it showed you know the angle was just that he was two feet away, and it was they were saying how could this be? It didn't it didn't make sense with um, with the investigation. But another truck, then they found this at, at, like months later after this whole thing had gone on, another tr camera truck had an angle from a different perspective, which showed that it was actually like down the driveway. Right. It was just the, the photo angle. So that's, that's part of it. So that's some of the issues. Right. And then again, you see that the, the time frame it took them to find this. So now the detective is tasked with going through all this video footage, then the storage, pulling it, copying it, sending it to the DA, giving it to the defense, doing all these things. So it gets to be a little bit of a nightmare, but the people that make those decisions aren't doing the job. And right. they're just administering stuff, and, and this is what people want. So ultimately, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to fruition, and that's what people are going to be doing. So just have to take that in consideration. Right, but I think, you know, uh, obviously as a criminal defense attorney, I like video footage. Um, but I, I, I think one of the things with the, these cameras, and, and I'm ask you what, you what you think about that, is... From a defense perspective is, well, not necessarily a defense perspective, but a perspective is that it helps calm the public uh, when they're dealing with the officer, that things don't escalate. I think there's been some research in, in departments that have had these cameras that the incidents are down because it also shows that the public, when they know they're on camera, behave a little better. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I would... You know, the police officers are already, are already taping you most of the time. They should be taping you, okay, because they're allowed to tape you without your knowledge and all that stuff so that they're listening. So when you, that person is aggressive and the officer is saying, hey, you need to calm down, blah, 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 th those are the types of things. But, yes, now when they see these body cams, people are going to be different, and the officers too. You know, right. When they watch cops and stuff, cops are still doing stuff a little bit different because they know they're on camera, okay? You're not doing some of the things that maybe you would normally be doing. Right. But I think it's beneficial because it's showing some evidence that maybe the officer didn't write in his or her report until they get a chance to view that. Now, that, that, here's the, the question, too. Do they write the report prior to viewing this, or do they do it after they've had a chance to review their video? Well, are, are they um, reviewing the video at the end of the shift or at the end of, uh, you know, um, 
when they're writing a report for that particular uh, incident? Or are those just stored? Or is every agency handling that differently? I think it's going to be at that agency's discretion how they want to do it. So that that's an interesting part of it, and that would be a question we would ultimately ask. Did you review your tape before you wrote your report, or did you do this and this is so this is for that type of stuff so that they they know right so over the years you've worked a, a lot of uh, crime scenes um, and investigated a, a lot of crimes uh, things don't always go as planned at crime scenes, no. uh, from my experience. It, it's, it's not a perfect science. Um, things happen. Oh, uh, yeah. We're always trying to do our best. I mean, I, I remember uh, I was working a homicide scene. We had the command post there. We're, in the, we're inside the inner perimeter with our command post, but there's this, not the inner perimeter, but inner perimeter, there's the outer perimeter. It was actually almost three stages on this in particular one because it was a pretty busy street. So they, they block it off. So... I, I, I'm just getting out of this uh, command post to go talk to an officer, and all of a sudden I see this car driving through, <laughs> and it parks right next to us. And, and I see this person. I go, this person is not police personnel or anything. And then I see the, the, an officer driving up 100 miles an hour to, to be right on this person. Right. And all this this drunk driver had driven through the crime scene. Oh, you're kidding. No, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> The officer goes, I can't believe she just drove right through this grind, right through the tape. So, so he did. So we're still working this thing. And about an hour later, I'm not kidding you, another drunk driver drove through there. So I'm thinking, is this a, a DUI checkpoint or is this a crime scene? What's going on here? You know, but that's amazing how people, when they're drinking and driving, that they do right. stuff. And that's why it's so dangerous. I mean, seriously. Well, right. And, and that definitely is First, for me, I, I've had, you know, I've done DUI cases over the years, and, and I've had some, some strange ones, but those two, that, those are, that's a different one. Uh, you know, you just drive right. I, do, I have had people drink, driving, drive into the police station, uh, you know, not into the building, but into the parking lot and, and like, you know, park sideways or something, uh, you know. Um, so, but drive through the crime scene, um, that's a new one. Oh, yeah, people do all kinds of amazing things, and especially when they're drunk or high, they say all kinds of wacky things. Right. Well, we got a couple of uh, email questions, so uh, let's look at this, and, and I'll ask you a couple of these. So uh, the first uh, question is, can a prosecutor come out to a crime scene and investigate the scene uh, and prosecute you in uh, court on the same case? Um, I think the, the, the basis of, of what this... Uh, listener is asking is, is there a conflict of interest? Um, and basically for that part, it would be no. But do you um, have prosecutors come out and look at the crime scenes? Uh, homicides, yes. Okay. A lot of times you'll have that, that, that in particular person who may or may not be the one that's going to handle the homicide. So they'll come out and they'll, they'll be part of in the command post, and they'll get some of the information there. Yeah, mm. that's not that's not a conflict, right? Well, I know uh, you know the Los Angeles uh, District Attorney's Office. They do have on-call um, DAs that, if there is a major crime, that they're they're called out. They may not be the DA who ultimately has the case, but they're on on call and they go out and. and it, it's a it's a good task force in that you know they try to help the officers not make mistakes. Um, in, in 
some of these things. Right. It's a different perspective, too, because the officers are, are trying to solve crimes. The prosecutor is trying to prosecute the crime. Right. So they may have a little slightly different thing that they want us to do. Oh, I need you to follow up on this. And you just look at them and go, okay. And then you, <laughs> you just do that in order for them to, to prosecute. But you, as the detectives, you're, you're getting the evidence, you're finding the suspect, you're going to do the interviews. And then, and sometimes they'll watch the interview too, right. um, you know, and then they'll even ask you to ask a question or two, okay, to, to, to you know, firm up their case. Right. So that's not a conflict. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's not. Um, the, the only time it really be, would become a conflict if, if they ask questions and there's no one else there because now they've become a witness to what that person said. And I have had DAs do that. <laughs> yes, and that's, and that's not smart because, again, if, if something changes and they say that this was said and now the DA saying that that was said, they become now a witness. So right. who's going to get them on the stand now and ask them questions? Well, in, in the case we were discussing, if you remember, I had subpoenaed three DAs in that case. Uh, but the criminal defense attorneys uh, generally aren't at the crime scene. Um, and that's uh, basically because we don't know about it yet. The person generally hasn't been arrested. Um, but, you know, I think probably my career, I've been to actually two active crime scenes because the person has been arrested. It was someone who uh, knew me, uh, either I represented them before or, you know, they knew me some other way and called and I was able to get over there. I uh, wasn't allowed on the scene. Uh, I was kept at that outer perimeter. But, uh, you know, Perry Mason only lives on TV. You know, we don't. Uh, generally, I will, do, you know, and you actually have been with me when we've gone out and looked at a crime scene afterwards. Sure, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's still a lot of evidence that can be gotten at, at a crime scene after, you know, the tape has come down. Right. See, this is, again, it depends on how good they do. Uh, we walk a crime scene. This is why you have to go to a crime scene as the detective or the defense investigator, whoever. You go to the crime scene, and the purpose is to see what else is out there. The officers may not have seen that small little camera in the window, okay, because right. it was at nighttime, and they didn't come back during the daytime for whatever reason and didn't do any follow-up at that crime scene. So there it is. So now we make sure we follow up, and, and that's what you should be doing is checking all those little things. Right. I mean, we... And Again, that case we were talking about, we went back to the crime scene and found that, that the supposed escape route wasn't possible because his gates were locked. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the bloody courtyard didn't exist. There was, there was no courtyard at this place. But officers never went into the, even tried to, to go through that, uh, walk that through. And I think, and I hear, and maybe this is the reason, is the officers that got that story were at the hospital with the alleged victim, while the officers on scene were just walking the scene and doing, you know, trying to take their pictures and whatever. Do those officers generally try to communicate with each other? Hey, the, the victim just told me this. Go look for this, or does that coordination? Usually, not there? it's usually done with the, through the detective. Okay, so a, a scene like this. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to send one of them, if it's my case, I'm sending one of my detectives to, to the hospital with the officer, and I'm going to make sure that CSI is going there, too, because I want to collect their clothing, which they didn't do on this that, case. That case, right. Okay? You need to collect that. And also back to the, the paramedics or the firemen, when they're trying to save people, or even trying to save dead people, because they've done that many a time, <laughs> okay, trying to save somebody who's already dead, it's not going to work. Um, but when they're going to cut off, 
clothing and, and, and do this so they can start working on them, here's a, a key thing and, and that they have to do is if there's a bullet hole, don't use that as a good spot to start to cutting. start to cut. Okay? Right. You know, you, you have to, and that's where you have to have the officers who got some experience, and you tell them, or you're communicating this because that's that's what I'm doing. So what happens is I'm the detective. I get called out, okay, right, and I'm given a brief synopsis of it. Then I'll make sure I said, okay, do I have somebody that's at the hospital? No. Yes. Okay. I need somebody at the hospital. I need somebody to get a statement. I need a statement from the doctor, the nurses. I need to collect that clothing. I want pictures of that body. All these things. Right. All right. Uh, we're going to take another short break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to take a few more questions. But I also want to still uh, continue that topic because you know, just some of the mistakes in in this uh, are great for us criminal defense attorneys. We we love to see those. So we'll get to that when we get back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell and Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit McDowellDefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or McDowellDefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radioshow at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back uh, with uh, private investigator James Allard, and we're talking about uh, crime scene investigations and uh, some of them that have gone wrong, uh, such as the DUIs driving through them. Uh, but we've got a couple of, of email questions, so I want to get to uh, at least one or two more. 
Um, so James, a person writes in, uh, can a person's DNA show up at a crime scene uh, if that person hasn't been there but has been in contact with someone at another place who then goes to that crime scene? Well, no, DNA is not going to just fall off that person's <laughs> body. Um, now, if the person is wearing your clothing and that becomes part of the crime scene, then there would be a mixture of DNA <laughs> that would be in there and that we'd have to address. But also, you need to know that DNA doesn't have a time stamp. Right. So if you were in that house at one time, doesn't mean, and we found some DNA, doesn't mean that you were part of this in particular crime that just occurred six months later. So it, the officers and the detectives are all aware of this, but we collect everything we can, and then you would, that person would be eliminated by saying, okay, this is it's a mixture of DNA. We found out that that person had gone, the suspect had gone to that person's house and took his hat. So, for instance, they would have his hat, so they'd have a mixture of DNA because my DNA is going to be on that hat and his DNA is going to be on that hat. Right, but there's also such a thing as touch DNA. So if, if you touch an object that someone else has touched, uh, small, minute amounts can be transferred to someone else, especially if you're living in the same household. Um, and with, you know, the advances in DNA these days, you know, they can take the smallest, minute amount, magnify it, and now you've got that person's DNA at the crime scene. Um, but also, you, you, you mentioned, and, and this is something that's very important, is, you know, DNA stays around for a while. It doesn't stay around forever. Um, but so you can't tell if someone was, you know, just there an hour ago or a week or two ago. Or um, several months. Yeah, it stays months. there a lot longer than, than you might think. But yes, but, it's, it's there. And, and we can get it just by talking. Right. If somebody is a spitter, okay, you know, when you're talking. <laughs> I'm going to sit back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it could get on your shirt. So you could have, I could have your DNA on my shirt because you're the spitter. So right. that type of thing. Um, so that's just all these things. This is where, where people uh, or detectives that are doing good work, you have certain leads, but that doesn't mean you have the suspect right away. Okay. Right. You have a DNA hit. You have a photo lineup. You have some latent prints. You you check cell phones. There's a lot of things that go into this to show. And then we talk to that person and see what what where they were, what they were doing. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Is you have to have all these things. If you just have one, I think you got a pretty weak case. And most of the time, the DAs shouldn't be filing or won't file it on on that. Right. Now, you know, we talked about cameras before, and, and you just mentioned cell phones. Everyone has a camera these days, um, you know, and as we've, we've seen all over the news and YouTube, you know, everyone gets them out whenever there's an incident. How um, do the police process that? I mean, can you just go up to someone and now take their cell phone as evidence, or do you have to get their permission to get it? How, how do you guys well, work You can take that? it as evidence, but you want to do it tactically. Okay? <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, or you have another incident yeah, on your ass. Back in the day that they just took it. Now, you know, everybody's understanding that they have to have it. And, and when a lot of people now, when they see the police coming up to ask them, they're, they're taking off. <laughs> they don't want, to, want you to take their, their, their device. And then what happens is it, sometimes it takes a long time. depends on how backed up the, the computer forensic people are. Because, you know, it's not just something that they just 
have this plug, plug it in, and they just get right into your system. You know, a lot of times they're going to ask for your password and other things so that they can get in and process it as quick as possible. Now, if you if you have something that's, I'm watching you, mm-hmm. and you're taking video, that's going to give me. Now, if I just believe that you may have taken a, some photos or video, right. I'm going to have a little bit more of an issue trying to get that from you. But right. I, I'd have to write my report that I saw you videotaping it, and you saw this incident, and, and that's evidence that I need right. because there's no other evidence for me. Right. And, you know, as again, as a criminal defense attorney, you know, cell phones have, have been a, a, a blessing and, and sometimes a curse um, because it has caught something that no one saw. And they didn't realize it until the police have, have viewed it or I have viewed it. Uh, and it's like, ooh, okay, uh, how do we deal with that? But, uh, you know, it, it's out there, and, and everyone has has it. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, this is just a you know, throw-out-there question, but why is it that security cameras, which are so prevalent, are so bad? <laughs> <laughs> well, the technology is changing all the time, but, uh, you know, seriously, as a detective, going out to the crime scene, and I'd go to the different stores right. to get... The, the video footage from the uh, robbery that occurred, I didn't usually have to ask the owner or, or the, the person there that's running. They have to wait for their 10-year-old to get home from school before they could even access it for me. So the people don't even know how to use their own system is the bottom line. And, they, and they, systems are now getting much better where they're a lot easier to download. Back in the day, they would take the VCR. You know, if somebody's doing a robbery, they'd know right. to go take that away. Now you have it remotely, you know, at a different location so that nobody can take that evidence. Mm. It's more digital, so it's easier to download. But, yeah, it's still, right. it, it's a pain. Well, and we just had a recent case where the guy had to wait till his kid got home from school to, to figure out how to work it. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, but... Sometimes that evidence can can be good, but the the tape quality is so poor. I mean, if the ones that we just watched, you know, recently were were bad. And the reason being is that they're just allowing the system. It's an older uh, uh, VHS type or even digital, where it's just going written over and over on the hard drive, where the tape is being written over and over, so that the quality degrades. And they may right. have added new, more cameras on, and there's a whole bunch of different variables in it. I don't know all the technology on it, but yeah, they're, they're, there's absolutely, if people look at their video and you got to understand what it's used for, and then the police use it for a different reason than, than the right. people have it. So there's that, that conflict, but it's also just what good is it if you, all you can tell is it, that it's a human. You right. can't even tell if it's a male or female. Right. And, and, and one thing that you just mentioned about, about them over-taping, and this is one thing that, that I always try to impress about uh, upon prospective clients, is whether they're going to hire me or they're going to hire another uh, defense attorney, is to get it done quickly because a lot of these systems only keep for seven days or two weeks, and then they overwrite. So you need to be able to go in and get that. I mean, we, again, a case that we just recently had, by the time you know we were hired and, and got out, you went out. The, I think the next day, and it already you know they only keep it for fourteen days, and it was day sixteen. Right. Um, you know, so you know that's that's one thing. You know, there is so much video evidence out there these days. Um, it's very important to 
get that, that camera footage because the police may not collect it when they go. I mean, the, again, you know, what, the case we're talking about, there were numerous businesses that had outdoor camera systems and the, none of them were collected. Correct, yeah. yeah. And the one that they did collect wasn't working. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, no, I, I agree with you 100%, and that's just because of the detective in me, is that somebody needs to get hired right away so you can get out those scenes a lot faster because evidence is ephemeral. It's going to fleet. It's going to disappear. Right. So, anyway, well, thank you, James, uh, for coming in and uh, talking to us about crime scenes. Uh, it's been great. I really appreciate it. Uh, very interesting. Um, Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, DUIs and high driving and uh, the law and uh, what goes on during a DUI investigation. Uh, our guest host is going to uh, be with uh, Aaron Forrester. Uh, he practices DUI and criminal law both here uh, in California and uh, in Las Vegas, Nevada. So those DUI stories should be uh, pretty interesting. Um, Aaron and I actually met when we were both uh, looking at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Vegas, uh, so I've known him for uh, quite a few years. Uh, he's worked on the Drug uh, Task Force, um, and now he uh, has his own firm here in Los Angeles and uh, a satellite office in Vegas. So he'll be with us next week talking about uh, DUI and high driving. And until then, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, this is your best legal defense. Stay safe out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Your Best Legal Defense. Lonnie McDowell invites you to join him along with another guest expert next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend and stay safe.